Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is a farmer led podcast, the Farms Voice podcast. So thank you for tuning in. For those that farm it, service it, or just outright love it. We bring you the techniques and technologies you need to motivate and implement into your day to improve it one way or another. Make sure you share the farm's advice to make another farmer's day. Let's get into this episode. This episode is intended to be general information only as the host and the guest do not know your personal circumstances. Please talk to your accountant or team at Byfields to get the right information for your circumstances. Well, welcome back to Beyond the Tax Return for the very first episode for 2022 with the team at Byfields over there in Western Australia with a big presence in Perth where today's guest comes out of. Simon Boyd is in the studio, the remote studio we have here. Um, Grateful to have him in and he's talking about something that I like to dwell on or even think about how... As a family farm ourselves, we can set ourselves up for off-farm investments and how they can really help out those farm investments as well. So let's waste no more time and get into it. Simon or Boydie, how are you going today? I'm pretty good, yep. We're um, pretty hectic this time of the year with uh, budgets and tax estimates and stuff like that. So it's good to get out of the office and have a chat to you. Yeah, absolutely. I've actually, like talking to Bushy each time I ring him up, he seems like he's flat chat every time. So I'm not sure when the break stops, maybe just after July for you guys. Well, I actually don't really know what he does day to day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but from our point of view, we're pretty busy. So that's busy is good though. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a few roles going on at the moment for Byfields. It's great to see that. And also a lot of the team there come from farming backgrounds and it's really good to get that support behind from Byfields for farmers. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Most of us are generally in the ag team are from the country, um, yep. at least at some point. So um, 
that's the kind of staff that we tend to attract and look for. And, and I reckon that that pays off for our clients. Yeah, beautiful. Righto. Well, let's get down to agribusiness and see what it's all about. But first of all, let's kick off your story and your connection to agriculture and how it's landed you with Byfields today. Okay. Well, um, my, my uncle is, and my pop was an accountant. Um, he actually did a lot of the station country up in WA. Um, and I used to enjoy listening to him talk about his clients, obviously not about all the, the confidential stuff, but like just the, the family issues that they come up with. Um, yep. And uh, my parents were doctors. Um, so I kind of wanted to do something for a career that involved helping people. Um, and I grew up in Northern, which is about an hour and a half uh, east of Perth. Um, and then I came to Perth for boarding school and uni. So a lot of my mates from school and uni are actually from uh, farming families. Um, so um, I don't know. It's not that I inherently chose to be in the ag business, but when I finished uni and there was a job going in Northern, I kind of fell into it. And then I quickly realised that it was the right spot for me. It's funny yeah, so, so, when you grow up, you kind of never think that you're going to go back to the country town that you probably left. And it sort of turned out that I did. And um, I was there for about six years. Yeah, right. It's a bit of a natural sort of flow of events to get into agriculture. It's always pretty interesting to see those that aren't really within farming and agriculture, how they've come into the industry originally and still continue to be working within ag. Yep, yep. And I very much count myself as one of those people. Absolutely. Well, mate, thanks for coming on the podcast and bringing your expertise. On today's episode, Beyond the Tax Return series, what are we going to be bringing to the table today? Um, so we're basically going to be delving into off-farm investments. Um, basically, what most or our more astute growers are thinking about um, and specifically more into residential property. Um, yep. I kind of don't want to go anywhere near crypto Bitcoin and crypto <laughs> and all that sort of NFTs or whatever they're called. Yep. <laughs> I'll um, stay away from that. Non-farming tokens, I think. Non-farming tokens. I also have to um, be wary of I'm not a financial planner, so I can't actually give advice on what to buy. Um, yep. This is merely like an observation of what I've seen over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's dive into it and see what it's all about. I reckon... This is a huge potential for farmers, maybe just to even offset the risk that we have in farming just throughout the year when a drought comes and you can sort of just leverage off another asset that you may have. Of course, I'm no expert in this area, but I love learning to see, especially for off farm, how we can set ourselves up a little bit better and be a smarter farmer for 2022. Yeah, I've seen a couple of things on your Instagram about that how you are asking about what other farmers are doing for non-farm income. Um, I didn't see all the responses, but I imagine that there's probably a wide variety of things that they're getting into. Um, property is probably a big one. Um, yeah, definitely. I, there was some on there that I probably won't bring up again, but yeah, for sure. The property is a huge one buying houses in town, whether it be setting themselves up for later on in the year and just in the year, in their lifetime after retirement or so, and then just renting it out in the meantime. But yeah, property and probably shares, long-term 
shares were most popular across Instagram? Well, we're, we're seeing that our farmers are very financially astute anyway. So they've probably already got shares, um, yep. especially like West Farmers and blue, more blue chip ones. And they've probably got some speckies that maybe their mates told them about. Um, and uh, with interest rates being so low, people are sort of moving away from the old term deposits, which had their place in the sun um, when that was suitable and uh, probably even away from FMDs. But um, property, I think a lot of them probably already had a plan to buy some property. Um, one eye on the future of what are they going to do when they retire or um, maybe make it a bit easier from a succession point of view if they've got that off-farm asset for off-farm kids. Um, yep. So when they've got equity levels that they do now because of rising uh, land prices and also on the back of very good years um, now's the time that they're looking to pull the trigger and, yeah definitely uh, they've probably done their research and they know where they want to buy um, and they're you know passively looking on the internet and just starting to actually look at some houses and now's the time that they're committing to it yeah absolutely so for those that have sold their grain or come on the other side of harvest there's sort of stocked up on cash and looking to do something with that the for those growers what are they looking or where should the astute growers and non-astute growers be looking across the next 12 months in terms of property in terms of property new gear farmland and investing <laughs> back into the business well um i think investing back into the business is generally the best investment that you can make, to be honest, at the moment with the return on capital that they're getting. Um, but with farmland being uh, more and more tightly held or harder to get a hold of um, with the price pressure of uh, good seasons and maybe a better appetite for risk, um, pushing prices up and um, Maybe they've probably thought about some machinery, but supply issues are making it harder and harder to get um, machinery to the point where they're probably thinking an extra year in advance in terms of their machinery rotations, um, which is good. Um, I think they're just actually thinking, okay, we've got this money, we've got excellent equity, we want to buy some property because our kids might be going to boarding school um, and it would be good to have a place down in Perth, for example, where we could go and visit them nearby or maybe they're finishing school and they're looking to move into uni and they need somewhere to live. So why not? Um, property is always thought of as a very stable investment that always goes up apparently. So um, I think farmers generally are fairly conservative with their investments and property is always thought of as a good one, something tangible that they can actually, you know, yeah, absolutely. I think like farmers love being able to hold their investments or even just look at it. They're not going to be looking for crypto or NFTs, as we said before, too soon. I think that may be a while away for sure. So you reckon that's going to happen around the corner? Do you think it's going to become more and more acceptable to move into crypto or is that through? Yeah, definitely. I think, oh, blockchain wise, it's sort of growing into agriculture using blockchains, but I think our adoption rate of ag tech needs to be a little bit higher before we start jumping into dealing with cryptos and NFTs as farmers. So 
but it's an exciting space to see what's going on and always cool to look at something pretty new. Yeah, yep. I agree with you. I like uh, seeing what's around the corner. I just struggle to sometimes understand <laughs> how it all works, um, especially with cryptos, but I'm sure that I'll learn over time as well. Yeah, absolutely. And as the younger farmers come up through the ranks, they're probably going to bring that knowledge up with them. They probably know all about NFTs and everything because that's what they've grown up with. But, right. So what are some considerations when we're looking to invest off farm when we're jumping into the property game? Okay. Well, um, the most thing that I think uh, people should think about is um, investing anything as its pros and cons. Um, and as I said, that most clients have probably done their research and they have a fairly good idea of what those actually are. And not only are we talking about drilling into individual suburbs and each has their pros and cons of each type of investment, but overall, um, there's some pros and cons such as uh, uh, property is less volatile um, in terms that it's generally thought of as a longer term investment. So you're looking to hold on to it for um, you know, 20, 30, 40 years rather than a good couple of years to try and ride the wave and sell it at its peak. Um, but also the downside of it is um, uh, you can't just sell off like a back bedroom. So if you're, you, you're, you're all in, if you've committed to it, you, you can either own all of the property generally or nothing. You can't sort of divide it up like you can in shares where you need a bit of cash so or sell some West Farmer shares. Um, so uh, with that, I guess it just means that you have to be fully committed. Um, you are investing in something you can see and touch, which we've talked about. Um, and there's also some um, tax advantages to buying potentially a rental property as well. Um, but I think those have kind of eroded down slowly over the years. Uh, quickly, that's just through changes in depreciation rules. Um, and which means it's less advantageous to negatively gear a property or harder to get that negative gearing. Um, yeah, definitely. So for like properties, I'm a farmer, central New South Wales, where like, should you just look anywhere within Australia that may have good return, good yield on your rent market, or you're going to get those capital gains? Should you stick close to home? Well, it completely depends what you want. If you're doing it just because you want to make some money out of it, then does it matter where it is? Um, you just, you're chasing long-term dollars. So if you think that's going to be in Darwin or Hobart, then, you know, by all means you can. But if you're doing it with a different reason in mind, such as uh, maybe plans for retirement or um, you've got kids away at school, you're kind of going to go to you know the the closest sort of regional city or major city probably i'd say um keep in mind that if you want to invest in property without actually buying some property you can buy managed funds that own units in property trusts like funnings warehouse property trusts and things like that um financial investing is very complicated these days and with that comes like all the flexibility that you can get with it but um yep. i if I don't think you're going to be looking at buying property in the what's the closest town to you? Um, Dubbo, yeah. 
Dubbo. Mate, I don't really know Dubbo, but if I think of a country town in WA, you're not going to be buying for capital growth. <laughs> um, you might do it because you need somewhere for a worker to live, for example, or you want somewhere to move into when you retire um, down the track that's near like the public hospital or something like that. Um, so I think probably my answer is it, it which is a typical accountant answer, it, it depends. <laughs> it depends what you want to do, why you're really buying this property. Um, I like the idea of having off-farm investments. I think it's great. Um, a lot of farmers have seen what happened with their own succession planning from the generation before them, what worked and what didn't. Generally, we see that those succession plans work better if there are more farm assets. Um, a key one is when I see clients who are thinking about their estate plans and they've got kids that are off farm, the concept of what is fair in terms of distributing their their estate is, is fairly difficult. And by having an off-farm asset, it just makes the process a hell of a lot easier. They don't have one, one son or daughter on the farm who's inheriting $20 million worth of asset and another yep. one that's going to get like some shares. They've got, you know, like a decent set of off-farm assets that they can divide up. Yeah, I suppose when you look at it like that, when you're going to retire and pass it on to your children, how are you going to divvy up half a house each sort of thing and then someone just gets shares at bottom at bottom out? Um, but, yeah, that's one to think of as well for the parents, the farmers out there as well. I think maybe if you're an off-farm kid or off-farm off child or a farmer and you were to receive a property in Perth, for example, versus some farmland, a block out in even in Northern, You'd probably yep. choose the Perth property every day over the over the land, wouldn't you? Because you understand yeah. it. You yep. know that like what's involved. You don't have to like work the land and earn the money that's attached to it. I don't know. It just seems like a fairly attractive thing for them as well. Um, but also, there's also things to consider, such as the type of property that you do buy. Um, I've seen people who have bought uh, apartments off the plan. Um, trendy apartments, as we call them. Um, and quite often that's with the capital growth in mind, but I'm not sure that you always get that growth as to, compared to actual land. Um, yeah. Apartments can be built pretty quickly, so the supply is not really restricted. Um, the value of the property that you buy is generally in the land, isn't it, compared to the building on it? So if you're buying an apartment, you're not actually buying any land. You're buying your yeah. space in a building. Um, so I've seen a few of those who haven't really worked out long-term very well. Um, maybe that's through lack of research or they just scrape together enough to get into the apartment in terms of what they can afford rather than, you know, waiting a bit longer and getting like a, a duplex or, a, I don't know, a small yep. title. Um so, um, but, you know, people are, are buying property is a very emotional decision, isn't it? People get attached to things and buy what they think is good at the time. They might get excited about being able to enter the market. So they hop in a bit too early. Um, I always find that funny about property, um, how emotional it is and how people can, like in Perth, we see currently people um, 
the housing market so crazy that people are buying properties worth six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars without actually looking at it. <laughs> um, maybe they're overseas investors, but it just it's just a crazy situation and 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 I don't know. Well, you wouldn't buy even a car without test driving it, would you? So no. it's a fraction of the price, but, you know, each to their own. Um, another thing that I have also seen is that um, people, when they go to buy some property with the intention of retiring and living in it, they have to make sure that that property is going to be suitable for, their, suitable for them in 30-odd years' time when they've gone down a hill a bit physically. Um you don't want to be buying something that is two-storey with carpeted stairs or something that you can yep. pull down. You've got to sort of think long-term about the future and what you want. And is it near like a, if you enjoy bowling, it might be near a bowls club or near a hospital or close to other family members. Um, so there's a hell of a lot that actually goes on in terms of making a decision about where you want to buy. And unfortunately, with the housing market in Perth being as it is, it's a lot harder to buy something that ticks all your boxes. Um, you do have to compromise. Um, I'm finding that myself when I'm actually looking for a house to buy to live in. Uh, there's just nothing that I can see that actually has what I want. It's not that I don't want to commit to it. I just, maybe I'm too conservative. I don't want to buy something that doesn't, just for the sake of it. Effectively, I want to buy something that suits me and it's just not around at the moment. Maybe with interest rates, on the increase, there might be a bit of a change in that, but um, yeah, it's difficult. But um, I think also the low interest rates has meant that people um, have a that can afford to hold the current stock that they have um, in terms of housing. They're not they're not forced to sell as much because they yep. can afford to hold it. So maybe with the rise in the rates, which we all think is probably going to happen sooner rather than later now. Um, there's going to be some good purchases available. Um, but also in line with that is that there'd be people that would um, possibly have a house that they rent out to someone and with interest rates going up, then they're going to, that means their margin on their property year to year is going to go down. Um, so, um, you know, there's risks involved with everything. So, um, I would always suggest that someone speaks to a financial planner. I don't really know if they deal with property as such as much as buying shares and all those other sort of um, investments, but I'm sure there's people available that specialise in it. Yeah, 100%. There's three elements there that I want to pick out before we go further. Commercial, looking at commercial properties as well, is this a thing with clients you've had in the past or what they're doing. I think this is pretty lucrative way to look at it as well. Commercial property. Um, I don't see that as much. Um, I do occasionally see it in self-managed super funds. Yep. Um, a key point of, uh, a, a key thing with the self-managed super fund is that you, you can't have any family members actually using the property. Um, it has to be purely an investment. And by having a commercial uh, property, um, we see people who actually uh, pay a commercial rate of rent to run their own business uh, through that property. But that's not really farmers. That's more like city businesses. Um, it's a terrible way of putting it. But yep. um, 
Um, so I don't really see much commercial property, maybe storage units, because um, yep. they can store some machinery and whatnot in there. <laughs> I don't know what it would be, but um, we see that a little bit more these days. Um, but yeah, generally not commercial. And um, yeah, I'm probably not really that experienced with commercial property. Um, that's also pretty tricky with regards to um, uh, tenancy. Uh, there's a lot of, in Perth in particular, there's a lot of vacant commercial property. You just can't get tenants. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking to have commercial property and um, make money off it overall, then uh, one of your main risks is not having your tenant in the in the door to actually pay you any rent. Um, so you would think at the moment, wouldn't you sort of lean more towards residential where you know that there's plenty of tenants and rents are going through the roof and you can always yep. uh, get new ones in if they're terrible. It's probably a bit harder with the COVID rules, um, with changing tenants and putting rental prices up. But I think it's a safer investment. And that's, again, just my observation. Yeah, definitely. And it just takes that little bit of risk out of it if you are intending that way and the other one was percentage of assets is this something that you look at as a farmer looking for off farm property investments should like should you not go over 20 percent? should you stay under 10 percent? something like that or is this just if you find that property that suits within your budget that you can spend after your bumper harvest or something like that so you're saying what's the ideal percentage of overall assets should be off farm yeah, that we can sort of start to offset any shit years that we might may go through as a farmer. Well, I think it generally tends to be fairly low anyway, purely because of the value of the farmland that they yeah. have. Um, you know, when you're talking $20 million worth of farmland and you have a house worth a million, then that's only 5%, isn't it? So yeah. um, I don't know if there's an ideal... Uh, percentage it depends on what your plans are with your farm as well in terms of you're looking to expand it or not um, you know, you're looking to buy land even though it's hard to do so you don't want to have all your money away tucked away in uh, um, property or something illiquid that you can't dispose of to come up with the funds um, and, it de and that in also depends on your family situation as well. Um, you might have uh, three kids on the farm that are all looking to farm and you just need to focus on expansion and maybe pay down some debt. So it very much depends on the life stage of your business, like where yep. you're at. You might be approaching retirement, so you, you might want to pump a, quite a bit more off farm um, to make that process easy. So I... Yeah, I don't have an answer for you, but um, I think I think it depends on Bushy came up, or someone came up with this quote: "There's only twenty percent of farmers are uh, will be able to pay out the retirement of the parents um, by not using farm income. So that would be including the off-farm investments, I suppose that your clients and other farmers across Australia are doing." So that's pretty staggering that 80% would have to include the farming income to um, make sure the retirement's a smooth process for the parents going off. Yeah, they'd have to draw down on um, 
equity available with the bank to do that, wouldn't they? Um, yeah. Yeah, 20% is fairly low. I wonder if that's an old statistic. Um, yeah, I'd like to we, know where he, where he we, got that from. I'll we might get a new ABARES one. Um, but if it's thrown it up there in the wind, don't take too much mention of it. But like that's something that would be good to have a look at as an industry and try to see how we can improve that. Obviously, if that is the case, farmers may need to look off farm and not just putting all the money back into the business and just recycling it. Yeah, but I think that what's happened is that the return on capital of investing back into the farm has just been so good recently. Um, yeah. Or I'm only talking about from WA's point of view. I'm not sure about over. Same as, yeah. Part, same. So you kind of, doesn't your money flow to where it makes you the most? So um, yeah. you're better off to pay down debt and have a very profitable farm. Um, and then if you need to draw on that to pay out your parents or whatever, then that's good compared to, um, you know, investing in a stagnating asset off farm yeah. and um, you're not really going forward as quickly. Yeah, good way to put it as well. And the last one I got out of that was what's a tip to take emotion out of off-farm investing and not getting locked up in family sort of politics? Okay, um, family politics. So uh, can you expand on that? Do you have, are you talking about so for, property or? For when people like have a property and then they're just sort of attached to it, they don't want to sell it as a family or they don't want like one another child wants that house as well if they're going to divvy out the off-farm uh, investments yeah. like that. Well, my tip is uh, communication. I think yep. if you're... Um, I, I actually find that is very helpful when you're talking about estate planning is that if you communicate with those that are going to eventually get your estate and you... Um, talk through your intentions and maybe some of the reasons then the acceptance is a is a lot better um so i would think that if it's going to be a family asset then the family should be involved in maybe the decision making not to the point where they actually doesn't mean they need to have a yes or no say but just be involved in the thought process um communication is key quite often with any family farm where they have issues, a lot of the issues actually go back to lack of communication. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you're dealing with family members, it's not as simple as you just got to talk to each other more because I know that doesn't always fly. There's, there's underlying issues built up from many years and, you know, different sort of um, situations that, that, that have come out or underlying issues. Um, but... You just try and communicate as best you can. And if it means that you need an intermediary to help you do that, um, I would suggest that you find someone that you um, rely on their advice and trust and I'm sure that they're willing to help you. Um, I would hope that my clients would think that I am the person to help them do that um, because I'm available to do that. And um it's good to have someone who doesn't have their skin in the game to help yeah. you sort of yeah. talk through it. Yeah, definitely. Excellently put for that as well. So for been talking about investing in property, what are some of the most common questions that your clients 
or that even yourself have around investing in property? Okay. Well, the common one that I have is whose name do I buy it under? Um, what do I write on the offer and acceptance? You would hope that I'd get that question before they actually commit to a purchase. Um, sometimes you see that I've, I've heard horror stories of uh, the day of the auction where they've won an auction and they've called their accountant and said, um, which name do I buy it under? I get that we're probably more so with motor vehicles. <laughs> I'm sitting at the dealer and I want to know what to write on the tax invoice, <clears throat> which is a little bit less risky than a property. Um, yep. So, and I've also seen horror stories where I've set up this fairly complex structure for an investment property that was going to be subdivided and they still wrote an individual's name and in the offer and acceptance twice after me spending quite a bit of time explaining it to them. So sometimes you're beating your head against the wall, but, you know, we're dealing with humans. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes that can be understandable. Um, so, but I can't emphasise how important that is. Speak to your accountant or settlement agent or real estate agent preferably in that order, <laughs> about which asset to which um, structure to actually buy it under. Um, a key one that I see is people get so used to buying property, including farmland, in trusts that they think, oh, we need to put it into a trust. That's all well and good because it could have its advantages if there's some capital gains tax in the future. But from a main residence point of view, being the main residence exemption, that does not apply if that property is in a trust or a company. You just, you just, it's only available for individuals. Um, so that would probably be the worst thing that I would foresee would be you make a significant gain on a property that could, could have been your main residence because you might've been living in there, but it turns out you'd purchased it in a trust. Um, yeah. I don't have much here at the moment, but I think that most of it would probably go out the window very quickly if that happened to one of my clients. Um, the other one is, um, I think succession planning and estate planning are two things that should be in the forefront of everyone's mind um, whenever they make any significant decision. Um, so by having it in the the correct name, you can ensure that it might pass on to the per the way that you wish it to. Um, so you need to think about updating your will. Um, and you should always update your will at any significant life or financial event. Um, and I think purchasing property is a big one of those. Um, another thing that we also see is that when you have an enduring power of attorney in place, if you lodge that through well, it's called Landgate over here, but it's your land registry service. It means that um, if something happens to you and you lose financial capacity, whoever's acting for you, if they need to act on using the property, they can actually do that a lot easier because you've already registered your EPA. Um, so that's just under the estate planning point of view. Um, now, also, asset protection is always important. Um, you want to try and keep your off-farm assets away from the risk of the farm. Um, so if, you go, if you're trading in a trust and you go buy a Perth or Sydney property in that same trust, then you're exposing that asset to the risk of the farm. Um, 
and it very much depends on the client's personal or family situation would be where you should buy. Uh, key point is always talk to your accountant about it. Um, so what would be some guidance there? Is that opening up another trust or is that putting it under your individual name as before? Well, generally we see it under individual names and yep. it depends on where the risk is uh, falling um, from the, the operational risk of the farm, for example, because risk management is about effectively siloing assets away from the risk. Um, you can never really do it truly, but you can try as much as you can to try and cut down on risk. Um, a common one could be, for example, you might be, you might have a trust with a corporate trustee that you're the only director of, and you might then go, okay, all the risk is effectively going out to you. So you're, and you're looking to buy a property in Sydney, you might buy that in your wife's name, for example. So you separate the risk. Um, but then you also have to think about from an in income tax and capital gains tax point of view, if you're buying it in an individual's name and they sell it for a profit and there's no main resident exemption, then potentially all the capital gain is going to be in one person's name and not spread out amongst the two of you, for example. Yep. So it is complicated and um, that's why I think you need to talk to your accountant about it. Um, and it depends, again, if you're getting a negatively gear, you don't want a negatively gear in somebody's um, own name who doesn't have income to negatively gear against because <laughs> it's not really going to help you from a tax point of view. Um, so there's quite a lot to, you would have seen this list of stuff that we were going through before, Jack. Um, there's quite a lot of sort of things that we can need to consider. Um, and um, I would hope that that should all be considered before any property purchase or big investment is actually made. Yeah, definitely. So for like the first step to looking at off-farm investments, what we should should do is go realestate.com.au or talk to your husband, wife about like what we want to do. Well, back to communication is talking to your husband or wife first, isn't it? The reason yeah. that you want to buy the property. Um, you know, there's no harm in passively looking on realestate.com.au. I think that's a pretty good site that a lot of people probably look at. Maybe if they even have no intention of buying, they just want to <laughs> see what's available. People like property. Um, it's, I don't know. It's always in the news. It's interesting. Um, you like to look at what their houses look like and what you can get for your money and what's available and, um, you know, um, dream, dream big, <laughs> what you could eventually move into. But, um, yeah, I think... Um, Communication is key. Talk to your family members. Try and work out the reasons why you want to buy. Um, like we sort of said before, if it is just to make some money and you're not going to use the property yourself, then you know you might be looking at different places to buy instead of nearby. Um, that's what I would probably suggest. And um, yeah, and then I guess it's about trying to work out what you can actually afford, which is potentially the difficult bit um, and um, that's why we're seeing a lot of these sort of questions this time of the year it's because most people are doing their yearly budget um, and starting to have uh, bank reviews yep. and with good numbers it makes it a lot easier and a more 
or a happier environment to be in, isn't it? Um, Always. Having, coming off a bad year and your equity is looking too, not too good and you think that you need to buy some property because your kid's going away to boarding school and you want somewhere to go to visit them then um, or you you know your your dad's going to retire and he needs somewhere to live um, it'd be a different story so being proactive is always the best answer isn't it yeah absolutely and then you can jump on probably the best opportunity the best block the best property that you could find it's a bit difficult over here at the moment they're all offering um, offers like they just want offers. There's no prices anymore on houses because it's a bit red hot at the moment. They're getting snapped that, up. Do you mean that when you're looking at realestate.com.au, they don't actually list the price? It's all just... Yeah, it's just um, offers invited. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that kind of Cunning. annoys me, to be honest, <laughs> because you don't know if it's in your ballpark or not. <laughs> um, but one key advantage that I'm seeing, we're talking about offers, um, with these with being cashed up after a good harvest and strong equity position is that we're seeing that those that are purchasing can make a cash offer um, as opposed to subject to finance or even subject to the sale of another property. So if you're like comparing apples and apples for a seller and one guy's coming in with a big cash offer, you're probably more likely to lean that way, aren't you? So that's a bit of an advantage. Um, And as you said, like, it's it's good to be able to do your research and then swoop in to get a good deal or buy what you think is a good property um, at the right time because you're in a good position to do it. So um, it might tick all the boxes that you think you need. So uh, I think that's probably pretty rare that comes up and you've got to kind of jump on it. Yeah, that's it. So some great farms advice coming out of this episode about off-farm investing what would be your one piece of funds advice that you'd like to pass on for anyone looking to get into it my one key if you call it a take-home message um would be be proactive um do your research talk to as many people as you can uh talk to your trusted advisors to help you um make the right decision um and enjoy the process. Uh, the fact that you actually can look to buy or you, that you can afford to invest off farm is, is excellent. Um, so enjoy that process. Not, not many people in the world are actually in the same financial situation that you enjoy. Um, so um, yeah, enjoy the process. And, and to be honest, if you don't buy the perfect property or perfect investment and you know you think oh, i should have bought bitcoin instead well you're, you're still going to do well so <laughs> you know what i mean take your wins with your losses and move forward and enjoy it that's what i'd probably say but um yeah people are there to um help you and there's a lot of information out there even if you just went off on your own and sort of did your own research i'm sure you can build quite a, a large knowledge base of um investments yourself without actually talking to a professional but professionals are there to help you so you may as well use them yeah definitely and sing out to your accountant and if they don't pick up the phone ring up byfields and see how they can help you out mate simon boydy thanks for coming on to today's episode some great farms advice there and little hints for myself just to have a look out early be proactive um as you said some great stuff 
Yeah, well, thanks for having me on here. I look forward to coming on next time. Um, do you have you got another person from Biofields coming up next time? I think. Kevin yeah, we've got Robert. someone on the loop. We've got Kevin Roberts. Not sure what we'll be speaking about, but it should be pretty good and keen to get him on as well. Before you go, how can we keep in touch with yourself at Biofields or the okay. team? Well, I think the easiest way is probably to go to our website. Um, www.biofields.com.au or to be honest nobody actually types that in anymore you just google biofields yep. <laughs> um, and that has all the contact details I'm in the Perth office but I do travel quite a bit out to regional areas because my clients are spread out across the state um, and if I'm not available we have a very large team of people that can help spread out across the, the state so um, we we very much enjoy dealing with this kind of advice. Um, uh, accountants don't actually like doing tax returns and financials. They like dealing with humans. So um, <laughs> we'd love to help you. Um, and like I said, I got into this business to help people. Thanks for tuning in to a Farms Advice episode. Go to farmsadvice.com.au for more information and spread the word. If you love this episode, give it a sneaky five-star review on Apple Podcasts so we can reach more farmers right across Australia. But until then, next Tuesday, keep on farming. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.